Welcome to the Questions of Life podcast. I'm Kath. I'm here with Donald. Hello. And in our session today, we are asking the question, what is the point of Christmas? Enjoy. Now, Donald, it's Christmas. I thought we'd have a little Christmas quiz to start things off because... Um, Great. You'll have a little quiz. So the first question is true or false. Okay. So you have 50-50 chance of getting it right. True or false? It is technically illegal to eat mince pies on Christmas Day in England. Is that true or false? Well, that is so weird. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't have made that up. So it must be true. It is true. So in the 17th century, Oliver Cromwell banned Christmas pudding, mince pies and anything to do with gluttony. That's me stitched. Uh, and the law has never been rescinded. Oliver Cromwell, what a good man. Let's <laughs> <laughs> not go there. <laughs> okay, so that's one right. Number two. What is the average number of Christmas presents a child in the UK receives? Well, you want me, you're not giving me some options? No, I want you just to pluck a figure out of the air. Oh. How many would you give your children? Three? <laughs> <laughs> I would go for, I would say, the, uh, 20. Okay, 16. 16? 16 is quite low. Hmm? Okay. What percentage of households watch the Queen's speech? 30%. 27. I'll give you oh. that because that's close. Yeah. Do you watch the Queen's speech? No. Okay. Last question. Do I have to say that publicly? <laughs> I'm in trouble. I watch the Queen's speech. Good my my family have done that for the whole of my life. Stand up for the national anthem. Uh, we had to stand up for the national anthem when I was a kid. Do you do I, that with the football as well? Stand up for the national yeah. anthem? No. Oh, I do. I don't even know. And I think it's probably possibly one of the reasons why I don't watch it. It, 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 it uh, yeah. Philippe and I, I don't know what she's going to say this year. It's not going to be good. Okay, last question. Mm -hmm. According to a survey conducted in 2016, what percentage of adults would gladly sacrifice seeing relatives on Christmas Day if it meant they could spend more time on Facebook? What? So what What percentage percentage? of adults in the UK said, actually, we would rather be on Facebook on Christmas Day than see our relatives? Oh, that's mad. I'd want to say naught, but okay. it's probably it's probably going to be something horrendous. 25%. 57%. No. Yeah. 57% of people would rather be on Facebook than seeing their relatives on Christmas Day. Now, I don't know whether that's true this Christmas. There seems to be this Christmas this real need for people to want to meet up. Now, not everybody can meet up. So I know of some people who are self-isolating and aren't going to see their family. Some people are going to see their family for a short period of time. This is going to be just quite a messy and difficult Christmas, I think, for so many people. And because of that, we thought it would be interesting to explore really what is the point of Christmas? What lies at the heart of it? Because that helps us to make sense of everything that's going on. And I think it helps to make it a better Christmas as we realise what the point of it is. So my first question for you this evening, Donald, is a very simple one. Do you like Christmas or are you just a, a bar humbug Scrooge? Um, there's not a straightforward answer to that and <laughs> I'll, explain, I'll explain why. Go for it. Um, so this is all what we'll unpack. I think there are two elements to Christmas. The one is the celebration of Jesus' birth. Yep. That's one part of Christmas. Mm-hmm. The Bible never tells us to celebrate Jesus' birth. Mm-hmm. There is no biblical festival for Christmas. Mm-hmm. But it's good to do it. What the Bible does tell us to do is to have three, four, five celebrations in the year 
that had different names in the Bible, in the Old Testament, where families come together and they spend time together and they feast and celebrate God's blessings. Now, we've combined those two things and we call it Christmas. Mm -hmm. So there is a human need for a family celebration and there is a biblical celebration of the birth of Jesus. And both of those things, I think, are really important. Both of those things I like. Yeah. However, mm -hmm. it seems to me that there are three groups of people when it comes to Christmas. And I feel a deep empathy with two of those groups. Just So let me explain. So the first group of people are the people who are often stemming out of childhood. It's exciting. There's laughter. There's joy. You're with family. And there's presents. And there's food. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful time. And that's brilliant. That's what God intended when he created festivals. That's a really good thing. Mm -hmm. The problem is that that is not even the majority of people's experience. So my feeling about Christmas is, is, is tinged by thinking about the other two groups. Mm -hmm. So the second group of people are the people who long to have that and they aspire to it and they just don't feel good enough. So their family is full of conflict. Mm. or it, they just find the stress of, what was it, 57% would rather mm. be on Facebook than with their relatives. The stress of family, the stress of living up to some great imaginary expectation of how happy their family life should be is overwhelming. And we know marriages come under huge pressure and stress at Christmas mm. because the dis distance between reality and expectation is highlighted. Mm -hmm. So my heart goes out to loads of people who are wishing, hoping, praying that they could be happy this Christmas. Mm. But they don't, they can't make it work. They'll get the wrong presents. They haven't, their kids won't be happy with what they've got. They'll be out around with this relative. They've got to have that sibling over who they can't stand. They've got to, and it's all magnified by thinking everybody else is happy. Everybody else is happily, and I'm the one family that Christmas Day doesn't work for. Mm. And actually, I think that is probably a bigger group than the group who really are having a great time on Christmas Day. Mm. So part of my sadness for Christmas is that there's a whole load of people who are being forced to fake it mm. and feel real hurt. And then there's a third group of people who I feel even more concerned for. And they are an even bigger group right now. And they're the group of people who, it's, they've had great Christmases. And they've lost loved ones. Mm -hmm. And therefore, Christmas is a reminder of what it used to be. Yeah. So they're no longer, they're, perhaps their parents are no longer alive. So they mm -hmm. no longer have that great fun they had with their parents mm -hmm. or perhaps a partner. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes even children. Or there's an estrangement between, with, with family. So the children or a partner are no longer there. So Christmas is a reminder of loss. Mm. And I don't know, I, I find it impossible to lose sight of those two groups of people. Mm. So all the time in everything I'm doing around Christmas, like this, like what we'll do on Sundays... Half of me is saying we, we, we want to, to bring that joy, but we've also got to recognize that for probably 
a majority, I don't know what percentage it is, maybe it's only 51%, but for a majority of people, I think, it's more difficult than it is joyous. Mm. And we're all aspiring for it to be joyful. And we've got to find ways of making it joyful. And we've got Mm -hmm. to find, because God wants us to celebrate and to celebrate community. So we've got to find ways of doing it. But faking it, and living up to some imaginary expectation of being a perfect family is is disastrous. So I so I'm torn. If I do I like Christmas, I like the idea of families getting together, and I like that in my own family. I love the idea of celebrating the birth of Jesus, and we'll explore more of that. And maybe that's an antidote. But that bits get squeezed out. But I don't like the. Uh, I don't like the sadness that it causes. I don't like the sense of loss that it causes. And I think that's why increasingly, and we've joked a lot about it, I don't like it starting too early. Mm-hmm. Because for the people for whom it's an unhappy experience, instead of it being an unhappy day, it becomes an unhappy mm-hmm. week, becomes an unhappy month. And this year it's become an unhappy two months, six mm-hmm. weeks or whatever it is. And I just feel for those people mm-hmm. that it, they're dreading this day, day after day after day, they're dreading it. And I, my heart goes out to them. So mm-hmm. my sadness is, is out of compassion, I think, if that makes sense. I think Christmas is too hyped up. Uh, you know, I've mocked you for the past few weeks, called you Advent Man and a whole host of other things, just because yeah. that's fun. But actually, I, I do agree. Uh, I think the emphasis is on that one day where everything has to be perfect, where you have to be perfect. Uh, And if you're not in that situation where that's possible, it's Mm soul-destroying because you're on Christmas Day thinking everybody else is having this perfect Christmas. And it makes you an even harder place to be in. And for me, it's just another day of the year. I think it's a day that can be really good and we need to celebrate and give thanks for Jesus and his birth and we'll talk about that. But I think we should do that every day. I think as a country, if we could just take it down a notch, this whole tension and stress that we're feeling about COVID and seeing people actually would be a little bit easier. Mm. But it is just so hyped and so out there. And people put on um, social media the best picture. We're having the most wonderful time. Look at this. Look at this gift. What you don't see is the rouse. What you don't see is everything else that has gone on. It is just a perfect presentation Mm. of our Christmas. And for very few people, it is the Mm. perfect presentation. I mean, I remember growing up and there being pressure, not from my parents, but from me, probably. We'd go and uh, be with our cousins and we'd have quite a big family do and stuff. And I'm quite good with people, but I would always kind of feel I'm not good enough. We had to dress up, put a dress on and things and everything else. And it was that one day of the year that I kind of enjoyed, but it was kind of like, oh... I don't know that I fit in. I, I, I don't know that this is me. Mm-hmm. And I'm quite confident, uh, as you know, and I, I find it quite easy to talk. And I think if I struggle, then how does somebody with very little confidence in that situation, and for yeah. our family as well, just the whole loss thing, you know, it's, it's huge having lost my brother. And, and we do different things. Like my dad will go to the grave on Christmas Day. My mum won't. Uh, there'll be an empty chair at the table, and, and it's hard. Mm. It's hard for people that have lost people. Uh, one of the things we do is we do a toast, and so we toast him and uh, absent friends, all the people that we've lost, and just give thanks and, and rem- remember something nice about them. We kind of bring them into the 
conversation and celebrate Christmas with them. But mm. it's a very, very difficult time of year that is overhyped. Mm. So I'm glad to hear that you do like Christmas. That's really positive. That will reassure everybody that Advent Man is there and he is pro-Christmas. But we want to unpack it a little bit more. Okay, so you've talked a bit about why, why we celebrate Christmas. Do you want to mm. unpack that a little bit more? Yeah, so, uh, so the, the Bible has this concept of every... Well, firstly, every day of every week, you take one day and you rest, and we call it the Sabbath, but you, you switch off, you don't work, and you do something different to restore and to fresh the body. Refresh. And that's a command, that's isn't it? That's a command, and that's a really important to the human condition. Mm. Linked into that, I think, is every three or four months that there's something that changes the routine. There's a festival. Mm. In the Old Testament, you saw that a number of festivals. Mm. They would feast. They would celebrate food. They would celebrate company. They would celebrate each mm. other, and they would eat. And I think that's good for us to do. Mm. And to do that three or four times, we do, do that probably with birthdays, don't we? That's yeah. a good thing to do. Uh, Anna Christmas is another great way of doing that. Easter we do as well. Easter we do. So to have that... Mm. So the, the, just as the week isn't seven days that are the same, we need to make sure that the year isn't 365 days that are the same, that there's this sense of coming together uh, uh, with our loved ones. I think that's a good thing to try and do. Now, what happened uh, in, in Europe is that, as lots of you probably people know, is that pre-Christianity spreading in Europe, there was uh, a festival that celebrated around the time of the shortest day, so around about 21st of December, which is the shortest day of the year, uh, a festival that celebrated that, that light overcomes darkness. And um, that was a pagan festival, and it celebrated that spring is coming. And there were two elements to that. One was the celebration of the things that don't die, evergreens, mistletoe, holly, uh, pine trees and the other was the, the, the celebration of light mm -hmm. and when Christianity spread into Europe and at the heart of Christianity is the idea that Jesus is the light of the world he says that a number of times in John's gospel which I'm yeah. working through and talks about the, the darkness cannot overcome it and so that fits in with that festival around the 21st and so wisely I think the church didn't say, you can't have this mm -hmm. festival. They said, okay, let's make it more with the symbolism of Christianity. It's good to celebrate. Let's make this the time when we celebrate Jesus' birth. We don't know when Jesus was born. Uh, it was a one in 365 chance that it was the 25th <laughs> of December. But that is why uh, we celebrate in Europe and how that developed. And the reason we, took Chris we stayed with the evergreens is that Jesus is the one who's overcome death. He's the one that in the grave, the grave does not defeat him. So the Christmas tree, the mistletoe, although not originally its intention, is for us now a symbol of the resurrection, that you can defeat all the other plants, but you cannot defeat the things, the evergreens. They, they survive through the winter, just like Christ uh, has defeated death. So I think it's lovely to have a Christmas tree. I understand there are some Christians who, who feel that we, they shouldn't do that because it was originally not a Christian symbol. But I believe God created evergreens. Why did mm. he create evergreens? Mm. Why did he create the beauty of nature if not for us to celebrate? So I think it's a good thing to do. We put lights on to celebrate that Jesus is the light of the world. 
So all of that is, is good. So we've taken two things. We've taken the need to come together to feast, and we've taken the need at the darkest point of the year to have hope. Mm. And that's, I think, where our culture is right now. That's why mm. Christmas suddenly becomes so important in 2020, mm. that this is the darkest point. This is the longest night. The COVID is here, and we need hope that summer is coming. Mm. And that's what the, the early church took, uh, infused, and they said, you've got this festival. Let us tell you about the real light and the real one who brings hope, and it's mm. Jesus. I think that's so right. It's interesting that people have been putting up their Christmas lights and decorations since October. I know you don't choose to do that, and that's mm. absolutely fine. But for me, it's indicative of what's going on in our society. As you say, it seems to be a dark time. People need light. They need hope. They need something to brighten it up. And when you mm. begin to understand the symbolism, the things that lie behind the things that we have, it's really quite powerful and quite mm. interesting. And for mm. me, a tree, as you say, is God's creation. As long as I'm not worshipping the tree, yep. as long as I'm looking at that and thinking that is beautiful, God, you're awesome mm. in, in having created that, then that's great. And the same with the lights and everything else. I think sometimes we assume that everything that is part of Christmas isn't good, mm. uh, when actually there is symbolism and, and there's stuff that you think, actually, that's, that's really good, that's really helpful. It reminds us of what Christmas is all yeah. about. And, and I know this spoils the illusion of what I'm like. I really love Christmas tree. I love the smell of it. I love the lights, the main lights being mm. off and you've seen the lights. Up. I absolutely love the Christmas tree. It's in our bathroom, ready to go up. I look, <laughs> I look forward to it going. I do really, really enjoy it. I think it's a lovely thing to celebrate. Mm. And to me, it really does speak of here is the, the tree that the darkness cannot mm. kill. Mm. And that, to me, reminds me of Jesus. Mm. I heard uh, just a little bit earlier that you have a special potion that you put on your tree. You get stuff from yeah. the garden centre that stops things dropping off, apparently. <laughs> Is that just for trees? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know if it works, but anyway, we use it. <laughs> okay, anything else you want to talk about the symbolism before I crack on into the actual story of Jesus' birth? Uh, I don't know, ask, yeah, if folks want to ask questions, if they want to send in, yeah. if they want to know more, why do we do this, why do we do that, I'll try yeah. and answer that. But, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's, let's go into the birth of Jesus. So Jesus was born of a virgin. Some people find that very difficult to believe. Just speak into that. Speak, just explain again the whole story the Mary meeting with the angel do not be afraid yeah yeah so it's a, I think it's a, an important part of our of our understanding of Christianity that Jesus is unique and Jesus is unique in that he, we believe that he's fully God and fully human so there are two really powerful things going on here the first thing is that Jesus doesn't come to earth fully formed he doesn't arrive as a man he doesn't yeah. arrive created and shaped in heaven. He arrives in the weakness and the vulnerability of a baby, and that's radical. Mm. And I think that for many religions, it's hard to perceive of God becoming a child, becoming weak, becoming mm. vulnerable. Mm. And that that uh, speaks of um, a sense of dependence mm. 
that perhaps people don't want to attribute to God. Mm. Yet for me, it's incredibly powerful that here is a God who identifies with the human experience, who comes and understands what it's like mm. to need a mother, what it's like to be hungry, what it's like mm. to need feeding, mm. what it's like to be nurtured and, and to grow up and to learn. And that's a wonderful thing. Mm. But in order for that baby to be distinct and not just a human being who pretends or thinks they're God. I think it's important to see that the birth and the conception of Jesus is unique. Mm. So he's not born from the intercourse between a man and a woman. Mm. But the, uh, the baby's implanted in this virgin. And people say, well, that's hard, far-fetched, and so surely why do you believe all of that? Once you've got the concept that there is a God, anything becomes doable for him. Yep. And it makes perfect sense to me that if he's going to become a, a, a human being, that that conception is unique and shows that he's different to any other human being. So the virgin birth is something I believe in. It's perfectly plausible for me and it makes sense it's never going to be repeated and it's not something any human being can do but once you've made a universe out of nothing a virgin well, birth isn't so tricky and if you look at what we as a human race can do if you look at ivf things like that it's just one stage further removed from that so if we yeah. the human race that is limited can do that how quite simple and straightforward would that yeah. be for yeah. god and maybe, I mean, I don't know if this is a good moment to shoehorn in my hobby horse. Can I shoehorn in my hobby horse and then we <laughs> can leave it. it on one Go side? I think it's really important that we distinguish between what the Bible te teaches as truth mm -hmm. and what human beings have invented as fairy tales. Mm -hmm. And the story of Father Christmas is a fairy tale. There was a man, St. Nicholas, he was a good man, he gave presents. The concept of him coming down the chimney and giving people mm -hmm. presents is a fairy tale. It's mm -hmm. a myth. Mm -hmm. He does not exist. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that has become a hobby horse for me, I don't apologize because it distresses me greatly, is that Father Christmas has replaced Jesus mm. in children's understanding. Mm. And it distresses me when Christians... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Go along with it. I don't think we should ever lie to children. I don't think you can say, oh, Father Christmas does exist and Jesus was born a virgin. And then when they're 10 years old, say, oh, by the way, Father Christmas doesn't exist. Yes, Jesus is still born a virgin. You can't mix and match. Uh, so for us, we had Father Christmas and we stole them, told them from the very beginning that it was a pretend story. They had stockings up. They knew Dad put the pretended to be Father Christmas, they knew why. They put out a mince pie, which I would eat. Uh, we did everything that other families did, but we never went along with it being true. We made it very, very clear it was pretend, just like Thomas the Tank Engine is pretend, just like uh, Fireman Sam was pretend, just like Postman Pat. We were very clear. And, you know, we would say, oh, there's a man dressed up as Father Christmas. But the tooth fairy, did you say? The tooth yeah, we said the tooth fairy was pretend. We said Dad <laughs> would dress up and, uh, uh, but, uh, and, and do it. But, you know, we made the whole mm. thing clear. And 
Christmas, increasingly, I feel, for us as Christians, it needs to be about Jesus. It needs to be about Jesus. That's quite a stand, isn't it, as, as a Christian? In a sense, to, from the beginning, say to your kids, there is no Father Christmas. It's a pretend story. Yes, absolutely. How, how was that? You know, how did that work out with the kids going to school and things like I don't that? Because schools they, are full of it. I don't think they ever... You'd have to ask them. Mm. I was talking with one of them recently and he didn't bother. Yeah. I think they felt a slight sense of superiority. Mm. I think they felt better. Well, everybody else is believing in a fairy tale and we know it's not true. Yeah. yeah. And when it was clear to everybody else, it was, what's the deal? We knew that. Yeah. Yeah. I just think... As a parent, you shouldn't ever lie to your kids. So what would you say to those parents who have? Stop. <laughs> it's I... quite easy to tell a child, this is pretend, this is real. It's not hard. I'm, I feel emotional about it. I really feel strongly about it. It is not hard to get a, a little child understand the difference between pretend mm. and real. And so did that help them to understand more of Jesus and the spiritual meaning of Christmas? I don't, you'd have to ask them, I don't, I hope so. Yeah. I hope so, but the bottom line is, I, I think it means, I, if nothing else, I hope my kids know that I've never lied to them. Mm. 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 And therefore, cool. if I say I believe Jesus was born of a virgin, that's more credible. Yeah. And I think we've muddied the thing, yeah. and it's confusing. For children, what's true, what isn't. And I remember, you probably don't know, that there's a Greg Lake song that was a big hit in the 1970s on all the Christmas albums. Uh, you know, I believed in Father Christmas. Uh, and it talks about, uh, uh, about that lie and how he, uh, he... And the line is, I think, something about the virgin birth and Father Christmas both being lies. And that's, that's, that's how the world sees it. We've got to differentiate between pretend and real. Yep. Okay, I'm sure we'll get some messages in about sure that. We will. Please do message in if you'd like to ask anything more about that. And we'll maybe come back to that. I've always, I've always said that on my last day of church, when I'm about to leave, I'm never ever going to be working for the church for more. I will say, kids, it doesn't exist. Deal with it. You even go to the extreme. I. I of uh, if somebody turns up dressed as Santa on Christmas Day, you, you're not so keen on them staying dressed like as it, Santa. No. This is a, we're here to worship yep. Jesus. We're yep. not worshiping Santa. So this isn't just words. This is actually something you live by. I and feel you live passionately. Out, and I, and I, uh, you know, there are things, we all have things that we feel passionate about. Yeah. And I know that for me, it's a bit out of balance. And I'm overreacting, and at times I can overreact, and I have to balance that. And we've all, I think that's the way God made us. We've all got things that are really, really important to us. And there are mm. other people who have other things that are really important to them. And I think, why is that so important to you? And that's the beauty of the church, where we're all different shape and parts of the body. Mm. I'm here to challenge people about Father Christmas. <laughs> uh, and, but I also have to let it go. Yeah. And, and people do wear Santa hats and people do dress up as Father Christmas in the church and I have to let it go. Mm. Mm. Okay, if we make our way back to uh, the birth of Jesus. So we've talked about Mary becoming pregnant. One of the things I think is really interesting is Joseph's response. So he's uh, pledged to be married to her and, and she comes with this story 
it's the truth, but this story that she's now pregnant explains it all. And he stands by her. He has the faith to believe in what she is saying. Even though he probably can't quite comprehend it all, there's just something in him. Mm. It's like, okay, I'm going to believe this. Mm. I'm going to go with it. And I think that represents many of us at times when we think about this whole story of Jesus' birth and his death, that we're a little bit like, jo little bit like Joseph, that maybe we don't, quite get it all but we can see there's something in this and so he had great courage to pursue it and to stand by her side it was a step of faith everybody around would have looked at them and would have thought yeah we know what's been going on here you know you've got her pregnant everything else but that's for me an incredible part of the story I know it's not the biggest part of the story but here's just an ordinary guy that takes her at her word that sees there's something in this and I'm going to explore it I'm not going to give up I'm not going to quiet, even though he was thinking about it, fair play to him, but he sees it through. And I want to encourage people that maybe they are like Joseph. Maybe it is a little bit the whole Jesus thing. I think there's an element of truth in it, but I don't get it all. Mm. I'm not sure. We'd encourage them, just take that step. Mm. Journey to Bethlehem. Discover who, who the baby is, because it's the most incredible story. And so they make their way to Bethlehem. There's no room at the end. We know the story. He's born not in the most salubrious of circumstances. In fact, probably in awful circumstances. It would have been smelly and dirty and disgusting. There's something quite incredible about that. The saviour of the world. Not being born in a palace. Not being born where, I don't know, it is the greatest of places. But actually, in the most dingy, the lowest of the low. That again communicates something about mm. Jesus and our faith. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I mean, I, it, it, the expectation was that the Messiah would come as a king, mm. would come in power, mm. would be born, if was, if was going to be born as a child, would certainly be born into power and wealth and strength. And the idea that he comes and there isn't even room and they say, you know, you need to be born out with the animals. Yeah, is who are you? Who yeah. I is yeah. symbolic in lots of ways. It's God coming quietly. Mm -hmm. It's not God coming in such a way that you're forced to believe in him. It's God mm -hmm. coming quietly and allowing people to say, we've got no room for you. Mm -hmm. He comes in poverty. Well, not probably not destitute, just mm -hmm. lower working class. Mm -hmm. But certainly with the smear and the question mark of illegitimacy, yeah. uh, they say that, you know, Joseph is saying this and that and, they, and the time of the marriage and the birth <laughs> dates don't add up. You know, yeah. there was a suspicion about that. And it's all about God identifying with the broken, identifying with the weak, yeah. identifying with the unwanted, yeah. and giving us permission mm to receive or reject. Mm. So there's great symbolism in the, in the story and the mm. way it happens mm. um, because it, it reveals the character of God. Mm. And it isn't a fairy tale because the, the story reveals how God does things and, mm. and therefore the historicity of it is important. Yeah. This is how God is. He is the one who comes as an outsider yeah. and uh, who 
um, the world has no room for. Mm. And yet, some of us welcome. Mm. Do you want to go on to the, sh the shepherds? Just one thing on go that. On. You know, we talked at the beginning about those people that are struggling this Christmas. That it's going to be difficult. It's not the perfect Christmas. The very first Christmas, obviously, with Jesus' birth wasn't perfect. It mm. was messy. It was in the brokenness. And that encourages me that, that Jesus is more than able to meet us in the messiness, the brokenness, the pain, the loss in, in our lives. Uh, I love that. That it wasn't, oh, I've come into the most salubrious of surroundings. This is the most perfect birth. Everything is wonderful. It was messy. Yeah. It was difficult. It wasn't amazing. So there for me is comfort and encouragement that he gets it. Mm. He gets when we struggle. He gets all those things because that's the world that he came into. Not a perfect world, but a world mm. of difficulty. Mm. So I want to encourage those people that maybe this is a struggle. Mm -hmm. And at the end, we may just talk about just some, some tips for those that perhaps will find it difficult at Christmas. Mm -hmm. But Jesus gets it. He understands. Mm. Mm. Um, so let's move on to some of the other protagonists in the mm. story. Mm. So we have the birth. Where do you want to go next? Angels? Uh, yeah, so you've got the angels appearing to the shepherds. Yes. And the shepherds are ordinary guys. Mm, love that. And, and that's, they're just bog-standard human beings, lower working class, if you like, mm. ordinary jobs, ordinary people. And God reveals himself, and you have this great celebration. It's a little bit more how like you would expect it to be, this big choir of angels mm. and, and, and celebrating and the new the the message is there is good news mm. for all mankind. Yeah. And the good news is the Savior is born. Yeah. And we can, you know, just to unpack, I mean, I love those words. What is a savior? A savior is someone who comes to people who are in a mess, in a hole, in a difficult place, and he rescues them. Yeah. And the, this child is to grow up to be the saviour of all man, to rescue us from the rubbish and the brokenness and the despair and the alienation mm. and the fear and the shame that we feel as human beings and to bring forgiveness, to bring life, to bring hope, mm. to bring victory over death, to bring an awareness that this life isn't all there is. And the angels celebrate this. This is the good news. Mm. And this good news of the Saviour is going to bring peace for all people. Mm. That the, the invitation is for anyone, anyone, yeah. any race, any culture, any religion, any background, any gender. Uh, anyone can receive the peace that God offers. And, and they, they glory in this moment. And that's why we sing carols and we celebrate all of that. And, and um, it's, that in itself is, 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 is the Christmas you expect. You don't expect yeah. there's no room in the inn. Yeah. You don't expect the other things, but you do expect the angels celebrating. And it's fantastic. Yeah. But it, the interesting thing is they don't appear to uh, royalty. They don't appear to the rich, the famous, and the powerful. They just appear to ordinary people like you and I. And the angels, when they the angel when he appeared to Mary, and the angels when they appeared to the shepherds, one of the first things they said to them was, "Do not be afraid." Yeah. This sense of we come with good news, we come with peace. So obviously, this is a little bit weird that you, you've you're coming face to face with an angel. Just a question about angels: Do you believe that angels exist today and interact in our world? 
Yeah, so I'm not an expert in angels, and I'm not overly keen on, on going into too much uh, because the Bible doesn't say a great yeah. deal. What is clear is that God reveals himself to people in human form and sends these messengers, these human forms, angels that speak. So whether they are specific eternal beings sometimes or whether they're created for this moment to speak, I'm not bothered. The Bible doesn't really tell us. All it tells us is that these creatures appear who bring a message from God, and that's what the word means, messenger. Hmm. And I think that still happens today. I still think people have visions. They still have appar- uh, human forms appear to them at moments of crisis and speak God's word. And uh, so there's still the potential to see an angel today. Very rare, but yeah. I'll drop a bombshell, but I won't tell you the story. I believe that I uh, had an angel come and help me in a time of great crisis with my back. But we'll save that for another questions there of life session. Very much do believe in angels. and not the type that Robbie Williams sings about. We're loving angels. And so we've got the angels. They've appeared yep. to the shepherds, just the ordinary guys. Again, it just shows you the accessibility of God, that he speaks to us. There's not this hierarchy. You don't mm. have to be amazing or perfect or anything. Just welcomes all of us, mm. which is brilliant. But then we have uh, the wise men. Now, we often yeah. talk about three wise men. Yeah. The Bible doesn't mention three wise men. Talk, talk to us about, the, not three in, in particular. Yeah, so it talks about wise uh, people who studied uh, the stars is yeah. probably what they were. It's very, very unlikely they were kings. So sometimes the older things are three kings. It, they were just people, astrologers. They were people who were learned. Mm. They were studiers of other scriptures. They were mm. certainly not Jewish. Um, they were people who studied Judaism. And they had been led to by what was going on, what they saw in the in the skies, they would be they were led to come and worship Jesus. They don't arrive on Christmas night, that, but we kind of confluted. Yeah. But he was probably in the stable or in the animal house for a few days. They arrived a few days after. They get held up by uh, Herod, who's the, the the puppet king at the time under the Roman Empire, um, and they recognise that he wants to kill this baby because they understand that the, the expectation is that the, the Messiah, the King of Israel, will be born in Bethlehem. So they've waited for that for, for centuries. These wise men know that. And so they kind of throw the scent off and they, they go eventually and they, they come and they worship. And they bring the three gifts, which is why we get the three wise men, because there's three gifts. Mm-hmm. And uh, the gifts are very symbolic. Um, so you, they give gold, which was generally the gift or associated with a king. Mm. So if you ever do want to buy royalty present, the thing to do apparently is to get them gold. <laughs> uh, then they bring incense mm-hmm. or frankincense. Not quite sure what the difference between incense is and Frank's incense, but Frank's incense they brought. Uh, and that culturally, again, was normally mm. a symbolic of a god. Yeah. So you, still in, in, in orthodox or higher churches, they will burn incense mm. 
and it's a, a, an idea of uh, what you give to God is the smell of incense. So that was a common understanding. So interestingly, they, by bringing gold and incense, are saying two things. We believe this baby is the king, mm-hmm. although he's born in rejection, mm. and we believe he's God. Mm-hmm. And then the third gift they bring is myrrh. Now, myrrh is different because myrrh was the stuff that you embalmed or bathed a dead body in. Um, so it speaks of suffering. Mm. It speaks of death. So that's a very strange gift to bring a child. It's almost mm-hmm. to say, here, this is for, for your funeral. Yeah. But that's the power mm. of, the, of, of the story. That Here is, in, in those three gifts, here is who Jesus is. Mm. He is the king, but he's a different kind of king. Mm. He's not a king of oppression. He's not a king of political king. But he's a king who will reign wherever people allow him to reign in their heart. And here's the baby who's God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How is it possible that God becomes a, a, a baby? But that's what we believe and that's what these, these wise men believed. Mm. But here is the God who was king who will die and his yeah. death has importance and his death is registered right at the very beginning. And I think it's, it's, it's Hartley Herald, isn't it? Born to die. He, it's in his death that his real kingship Mm. It becomes apparent in his mm. defeat of sin and his resurrection and defeat mm. of a death. So the gifts, a king, a God, and a dead man. Now I've got a question here from June that just ties into that nicely uh, about gifts. So June says, uh, why the necessity for presents and cards? What is the significance, please? So today we often buy gifts and send Christmas cards. Uh, what's the significance? Does it tie back into then, or is it something completely pagan? Uh, it's not. Well, I, I, I think uh, it is important to give people we love gifts. Great. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Just you know. <laughs> I think that's a really <laughs> precious thing to do. Yeah. And some of us need a reason. Yeah. Ideally, from time to time, you buy someone that you love a gift. Yeah. But. Most of us need a reason, so mm-hmm. we tend to have two reasons, birthday and Christmas. Mm-hmm. The idea is linked to Jesus being the gift, the best gift. Mm-hmm. And, we are link- and we're linking into the wise men bringing gifts. So we give gifts at Christmas fundamentally because it's important to show love to the people we live with and we care mm-hmm. for and to bless them. Yeah. And God is all about blessing people and buying gifts. Uh, but we do it at Christmas in, uh, partly to remind us that Jesus is the best gift mm. and partly to remind us that the wise men brought gifts. I do think the whole thing has got blown out. And when you, you, there's so much pressure to buy the perfect gift. There's so much pressure to buy, spend a lot of money. And I think that has, just, we just lost what the purpose is. The purpose really is goes back to this festival idea is we're celebrating one another and we we're blessing one another we eat good food because Mm. god has created good food Mm. we give gifts because god gives gifts Mm. and Mm. we do it in that sense and it doesn't need to be christmas it you know you could have a um you could do it at harvest you could do Mm. it at easter you can it's always good to give gifts i asked my dad what he wanted me to get him for christmas and his reply was uh salted pecans Salted pecans. Yeah. 
And I'm like, Dad, that's just nothing. I'm not buying you a box of pecans. It's Christmas. Surely I've got to buy you more. And that's all I want. Right. I'm going to get him a little bit more because, you know. A couple of boxes. A couple of boxes, Dad. <laughs> that's all you're getting, mate. But I, I, I quite like that. Yeah. That, that whole, just want some salted pecans. Yeah. Never thought I'd hear my dad say that. One of the things I also love, I think it's really good to give gifts, but it's also good to give gifts that actually bless others as well. So I like the whole thing of um, like World Vision, places yeah. like that, where you can buy uh, a gift that you get a little card, a little thing, but you buy things that bless people that are in poverty. Uh, and not, not as the only gift, but I quite like doing that. There's, there's a sense of this is good that I'm blessing you, but I'm also blessing someone far less yeah. fortunate than ourselves. So I think the gift giving is really good. Mm. I don't think we should go over the top. Mm. I mean, I saw a statistic that we're going to spend £476 on Christmas presents this mm. year. I'm not going to spend that. I mean, the pecans are going to be a few quid. That's great. That <laughs> saved me some it's money. a lot of boxes of pecan. <laughs> yeah, he's going to be eating them for years. But, uh, you know, how many of those presents go on eBay? How mm. many of those presents do people, oh, didn't really want that? Mm. I don't know. I mean, mm. it's nice when we get it right, but it's also the biggest extortionate waste of money. It's, it's really difficult, and I feel for parents, it's really difficult. The hardest thing to say to your child is no. Mm. And the hardest thing is to say, uh, we can't afford that when your friends can. Mm. It's really, really difficult mm. um but actually my story would be that our kids we couldn't afford to give them everything that mm. all their friends had and i think they're okay i think they've turned out all right i don't think it has severely harmed them um we might have the odd unpleasant boxing day because they didn't get what they really really wanted mm. but that wasn't our experience. Our experiences mm. was that our, our, our lads were grateful for what they got. Mm. I think w when we were younger, it was slightly easier because we didn't have all the technology that we have today. And I think it was less commercialized. It was mm. still commercialized, but we used to look through the catalogs or the Argos catalog. We had a budget. You yeah. know, there was only so much that we could buy. Uh, and that was great. And we were happy with that. Yeah. But there was no need for a... I don't know, Xbox or, or a Switch or anything like that. It just wasn't, it was easier, mm. I think, to be a child and have children. I mean, there's still pressures, don't get me wrong, there's still demands, but today I think it must be awful because of advertising, because yeah. of everything. Oh, they've got mm. this, they've got that. Yeah. Pff, I'd hate it. I think giving a child a budget is a good idea at a certain age. Letting them understand the cost of things and yeah. letting them understand that they can't have A and B, so they yeah. need to decide whether they want A yeah. or B. And not just have everything and not play yeah. with it all and not yeah. want it all. Yeah. Definitely. Back to our story. Back yeah. to the uh, Christmas story. I'm interested in Herod. I'm interested in his reaction. Because I think there are people that are still a little bit like that today. That don't like this idea of Jesus. That don't like this idea that there's a Messiah. That he could have been born in Bethlehem. His response is, is oh, I want to kill him. What's going on with Herod? It's a jealousy. Mm -hmm. It's a holding on to power. I mean, I don't know where that resonates in our world today. Mm -hmm. uh, want, not wanting to give up power. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, you say his name again. No. We've not had his name for a while. No, no. <laughs> not going there. Not going It'll there. He'll be back in four years, don't but worry. But the, tra <laughs> the tragedy of the 
This story mm. is that he sets out to kill as many kids as he can. Yeah. And the violence of hatred against Jesus mm. is, is horrific. Mm. Um, it's, it's largely because he completely misunderstands the nature of the kingdom of, of Jesus. Yeah. As do many of the people of his time. Jesus did not come to overthrow governments. He mm. came to change hearts. Mm. And he comes to be the king where we say, in our own private life, Jesus, I will do what you want. And that's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is me saying, not my will, Mm. but yours. And we've talked a lot about that in these Mm. questions of life. That's the Mm. kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not political. It is not about nations. It's It's not political today. It's not about... It's not about Israel, it's not about America, Mm. it's not about anything political. It's about what God does in the heart. Mm. But Herod can't cope with that, Mm. and so he's threatened. He thinks that this this king is going to replace him, Mm. and so he orders a genocide. And there's a the Bible often reflects the violence of this world holds a mirror up to it. Now, some people misunderstand the Bible and say, well, it's encouraging it. Mm. It isn't encouraging it at all. It's Mm. holding a mirror up and saying, this is how terrible humanity is when you try and reject God. Yeah. And this is what you do to one another. Mm. And this is why you need a saviour. Because this lust for power and this uh, uh, fear of not being significant Mm. causes him to murder. Mm. And we need a saviour that, that, that sets us free. So, so Herod uh, is a tragic figure and, mm. a, and, and an oppressive figure. Mm. Absolutely. And so Jesus' family, they're warned by the wise men and uh, kind of become refugees. They yes. have to flee. And they flee to Egypt. Yes. Uh, and again, it's a, it's, a, it's a remarkable story of crossing national boundaries to be safe Mm. and it's important that at the heart of Christianity is two stories the exodus in the Old Testament and and this story of having to go to another country Mm. and of being uh, cared for in another country and it's really important that as the people of God we welcome those who are fleeing danger mm. and fleeing persecution because mm. that's what Jesus received mm. from the Egyptian people. Mm. Absolutely. And then there's just one story about Jesus' childhood. So he's born, flees, but just one story. Why is there just one story about his childhood? I'd be fascinated to know what he did. Uh, I don't know why. I think, um, I guess because it's normal. Yeah. Um, I think it would be a bit weird if, you know, you know, what should we have for tea tonight, Jesus? <laughs> I, uh, Fish. I'll, I'll make this. <laughs> he lives a normal life. Yep. Uh, and even the, the one story isn't a miraculous story. Mm. So all the way through to about 30, roughly the mm. age of 30, there's no record of miracles. There's no record of him doing anything dramatic. Mm. We know that Mary, uh, and by the time Jesus is 30, is father's died, Joseph's died, but we know that Mary and Joseph understood because of this birth experience. They understood who he was. You get a sense that Mary knew what was going to happen in terms of the the death of Jesus. Mm. She she grasped the symbolism of the myrrh. So 
there's that sense of them always knowing mm. what was going to happen. But the one story is that there's an occasion when he's uh, sort of 10, 11, 12. They go on a regular trip. One of these festivals, mm. they go to Jerusalem. The culture was that the whole group, the whole village, the whole family, extended family would all go as one group and kids would be running around and doing it. And they get, they set, go back and on their way back, they realize uh, that, that Jesus isn't with them, which uh, is a common experience. We were hearing about <laughs> Alison and Laurie's story <laughs> on Monday night cafe church about uh, forgetting Sam. And I was re uh, there was another story today. Where did I say? Anyway, somebody else forgot their child. It's a common thing. It happens. David Cameron left his daughter at the David pub. Cameron. Yeah. So Mary and Joseph realized that Jesus isn't with them. And they have, a, they have a bit of a panic and they go back and they discover him in the temple debating theology. And the people he's debating with the old scholars, they're amazed at his knowledge and understanding. And uh, that's the only story we have. Mm -hmm. And all it reveals really is that Jesus knew all the time who he was. Yep. And that he had a knowledge of the scriptures and of God well beyond his years. Mm. And, and that's the story. Mm. I quite like that his upbringing was normal because it means that he understands the normalities of you and I, our yeah. everyday lives. Yeah. He's just got that sense of, I know what it's like to walk this earth. Yeah. I know what it's like to grow up. I know what it's like to be part of a family with the rows and the everything else. Trained to be a carpenter, we suspect, uh, as his father was one. You know, just, just the daily, everyday things that we do, he understood. Yeah which means he's able to speak into our lives and the situations that we find ourselves in. That he's not a God that is so far removed. You think, oh, how on earth do you know what life's like? Mm. Well, I do because I came and I lived it and I mm. breathed and I walked on this earth. Mm. And historians are 100% certain that Jesus did live yep. on this earth, that yep. it isn't a fairy tale. Whether we believe he was the son of God, was crucified, there is no doubt. A historian that would say they're not religious would say, Yes, Jesus Christ was a real man who lived and who walked on our earth. Yeah, we know that he lived, we know that he died, yeah. and we know that he changed Europe and the Middle East. Yeah. That, that there's no doubt historically that his teachings changed the whole of, of the Western world. So if we go back to our original question, what's the point of Christmas? In a nutshell. I think the first point is to glory and wonder that God becomes a human being. Yeah. So one of the prophecies that you will call him Emmanuel, you will call him God with us. And yeah. it's, it's, it's not that God takes a human being and says, I'll make this human being and I'll put him on the cross. It's not that God takes a prophet. Mm. It's that God says, I'll come myself. Yeah. It's me. Yeah. I'm coming. I understand humanity. I want you to know how much I love you. I want you to know that I'm here for you. I want you to know that I want to forgive you. How do we know that God can forgive us? Because he himself comes. It's absolutely crucial mm -hmm. to believe that it is God who comes as a human being. It is God with us. An incredible story in Isaiah, which is written hundreds of years, where they describe unto us a child is born, and you will call him mighty God. Mm -hmm everlasting father it is my it blows every other mm. religion out out of the, out of the water it's yeah. incredible god has come as a human being mm. 
And whatever the sadness of our family life, whatever the sadness of our situation, that's what we've got to come back to and get hold of. We've got to grab that God has come to us and he's still coming to us. And he's still saying, I want to be in your life and I want you to know I'm here with you. You are not alone. Mm. And you Mm. are not washed up or, or a failure or beyond my love. I am here. And whatever darkness you're mm-hmm. in, I am the, the light of the world mm-hmm. and I will overcome that darkness. Mm-hmm. So that's the first fundamental thing yeah. to hold on. Whatever our situation, God is with us. Mm-hmm. Not a prophet, uh, not a representative, not even a child of God. God himself mm-hmm. is with us. So that's the first thing. And the second thing, which is secondary, is yes, celebrate loved ones. Mm. Give thanks for them. Mm. Eat well with them if we can. Give them presents if Mm. we can. Remember the loved ones that have gone before. Mm. Honour those who we love. And welcome into our lives those who don't have those relationships. Mm. And look out for them. Mm. And don't, my third point is don't perpetuate the myth of happiness. This fake, everything's perfect in my family with my wonderful Christmas letter about how nothing ever goes wrong. <laughs> Let's be real and honest with each other. Mm. Let's walk with compassion alongside all our different stories. Mm. Some of us have, ra- have families with rows. Mm. Some of us have families with gaps in them. Mm. Those of us that haven't, we give thanks. Yeah. But the time will come when we'll have gaps. Yeah. So let's yeah. embrace people. Yeah. It's God with us. Yep. And that's fundamental. Mm-hmm. It's an opportunity to care for people mm-hmm. and to give thanks with people. Mm-hmm. And to those that are struggling, we would say, don't give up. Mm. One of the uh, the names that that passage in Isaiah gives to Jesus is Prince of Peace. Yeah. And there's a sense that that would be our prayer for people this Christmas, that there wouldn't be a despair, there wouldn't be a darkness. But like you say, we would look to the lights, even if we're not having a tree because we can't face it. But as we see lights or even light a candle and know that that candle's presence with us represents Jesus, that we may not be able to see him, but he is with us. He never leaves us nor forsakes us, that whatever this Christmas period is going to be like for us, we're not alone. Don't give up. The Prince of Peace is there and he will meet us in it, in our, in our darkest of times. Mm-hmm. We've come to the end of this session. Um, thank you guys ever so much for joining with us. If we don't see you again, can we wish you just a peaceful Christmas? May you know the peace and the presence of Jesus mm-hmm. giving you hope and his light this Christmas. But thank you and we'll say goodbye. Cheerio.